Welcome to the East Memorial Student Podcast, your source for the biblical teaching of East Memorial Student Ministries. I'm your host, Matthew Ronsky, pastor of Students and Discipleship at East Memorial Baptist Church in Prattville, Alabama. Well, it is good to be here with you all. I know it is in the midst of final weeks, uh, finals week, and people are battling illness. Even for me, today was a crazy day between doctor's appointment and so forth. And so the good news, if you're feeling overwhelmed or stressed, I only have four pages of notes. So double-sided. Sometimes, you know, so I have four pages of notes tonight. Sometimes I have like eight. So um, we should definitely finish on time. If we don't finish on time, then I have a problem and I need to like over the winter break, kind of re- self-reflect and self-critique and figure out, you know, why I can't stay on time. But, uh, but this should be short and sweet as we dive into our topic for this evening. But before we do that, let me ask the question to kind of start us. Has anybody here had an experience personally or you know of another where somebody gave a, fa- a false testimony or a false piece of information about that person that resulted in harmful consequences? Anybody? Okay, there's a few hands. Okay, harmful meaning, you know, they lost the job, they lost friends, they lost a, some kind of opportunity, maybe even resulting in physical harm. You know, you could think of a, of a situation, you know I know, how it, I know how teenagers can be. I went to public school myself you know, somebody trying to start a fight or something. So they go and they say, hey, you know, this guy said this about your mom or something like that. And then that guy's like, oh, okay, all right. Well, let me go. I'm going to go fight him now, you know? And so he goes and they get into a fight. Turns out it was all a bunch of, you know, it was all a lie. And they just wanted to see a fight. And so now, you know, two people potentially get hurt because of that lie, right? So you have probably seen something like this in your life. Maybe you, even, you have even experienced this in your life. And it's not just an experience that we go through in our day, day in, day out living, but it is an experience that is mentioned in Scripture as well. Anybody know the story of Nabus Vineyard? Anybody? Show of hands. Who knows the Old Testament story in Nabus Vineyard? Old Testament. So in, in 1 Kings, I believe it's 21, maybe. I didn't put the reference down. But um, there's a guy named Naboth who is a righteous guy. And he was living under the reign of King Ahab, who was one of the most wicked kings in Israel's history. He was married to Jezebel. You've all heard of Jezebel before, right? And so King Ahab, he sees this guy's vineyard, Naboth, and he wants it. He wants his vineyard to start his own vegetable garden and offers to buy it. But Naboth, he refuses to sell because it actually would have been sinful to sell his father's inheritance, his land. Uh, it's, It's indicated or implied that they were from different tribes and that was sinful for one tribe to transfer a piece of property to another tribe according to the Old Testament law. And so Naboth was trying to honor God and keep the law, and King Ahab didn't care. And so Queen Jezebel comes along. She's kind of the mastermind of of evil in that day. And she comes up with this plot to 
host this event, this banquet, and they would in, invite Naboth, and then she says to bring two wicked men you know, to the event, and basically those wicked men under the direction of Jezebel would, during the, the event, would rise up and say that, oh, Naboth cursed God and did this, and which then would result in his execution. That's what happened. So two wicked, worthless men rose up, gave a false testimony. All the crowd, all the people, they get angry. They, they think that Naboth deserves to die, and they go out and they kill him. And so now he's dead, and then King Ahab takes his vineyard. And so this is one biblical story uh, that, uh, that really highlights the giving of a false testimony that results in harm to another person. And that is one thing in, in both Scripture and experience, one thing that is revealed is that injustice or doing injustice usually goes hand in hand with false testimonies and lies about other people. Well, as you can probably already guess, the, the commandment we're going to study tonight is the ninth commandment, which is you shall not give a false testimony against your neighbor. You're, depending on the translation you're looking at, it might read slightly differently. But let's dive into the text and look at this ninth commandment. So if you're not already there, go to Deuteronomy chapter 5, and this commandment is in verse 20. So Deuteronomy 5, verse 20. And here I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, 1995 edition, and it says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, at the surface of this commandment, it's pretty straightforward in its meaning. There's nothing too difficult about the translation. And its straight meaning is that it is condemning the giving of a false testimony or a false account or a false report that is against your neighbor. Now, I should emphasize that this commandment is specifically condemning false testimony that is against a fellow human being, meaning that the false testimony has the potential of harming the person who is being testified against or spoken about. Now, there are other ways that you can lie or be deceptive. And if you were with us last week, we talked about the form of deception where you make a promise, but you do not intend to fulfill it or you are not able to fulfill it despite making an oath or a promise. But what we saw last week is that that type of deception, if we could call it that, the failure to fulfill oaths or promises, that was grouped under the commandment against stealing. So slightly different. But with this ninth commandment, the main issue is false testimony or false statements about somebody that could bring some form of harm to that somebody. Now, this may not, well, hold on. Okay. Now, at this point in our series on the Ten Commandments, you should expect that there is going to be a wider application of this ninth commandment, wider than the simple giving of a false testimony. And so we are going to look, we're going to jump into the application at this point and look at the correlating section in Deuteronomy. So let's throw up that slide. And the 10 commandments in Deuteronomy, and I want to show you the section. So you look at commandment number nine, and according to this list, it would be Deuteronomy 24, starting in verse 16, to Deuteronomy 25, verse four. Now, 
Deuteronomy 24, it's not a large chapter, so this is not a large section of Deuteronomy that correlates to the ninth commandment. And if you forget, or if you haven't been here when we talked about this, the reason I'm highlighting these correlating sections is because in these correlating sections, there are specific laws and instructions that teach us how the Ten Commandments apply. So the commandment says what it says in its text. In this case, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. But there's a wider application, and there are deeper principles that are behind each and every of the Ten Commandments, all of the Ten Commandments. And so in these correlating sections, they are really the key to unlock the deeper principles and the wider applications of the commandments. And so let's look at the correlating section for the Ninth Commandment, starting in Deuteronomy 24. And we'll just start in verse 16, the the very beginning of the section. So turn there in your Bible, Deuteronomy 24, verse 16. And it says, Fathers shall not be put to death for their sons, nor shall sons be put to death for their fathers. Everyone shall be put to death for his own sin. Now, this specific law in this one verse being correlated with the ninth commandment gives the principle that only the guilty should pay the penalty for their crimes. Sometimes you might, maybe you've watched a show or a movie that's out there on one of the streaming channels where you'll see a theme of revenge, right? Somebody was wronged or their family was hurt. And, and in these shows or movies, these, these themes of revenge can involve the, the main person in the story basically harming the other person's family or friends. Kind of, you know, this kind of tit for tat. You know, this person wronged me and I can't necessarily get to them right away or to really inflict a lot of pain and suffering on that person I'm going to hurt everyone that they care about and love. Maybe you've seen something like that in in pop, pop culture. And if you have seen something like that, that would be an example of a violation of this principle. It is a sinful, it is a sin and a violation of justice to apply the punishment for a crime on somebody who did not commit it, even if they're a close relative or a friend. Now, for the sake of qualification in Scripture, because maybe you've, you've heard me talk about some of these other examples in previous teachings, but in Scripture, there are times when the sin of a leader of a country or the leader of a family, their sin causes consequences to fall on their family or on their country. If they're the king, if they're the head of the family, and they do something sinful, there can be consequences, including death, that may come to their family or their country. However, what I'd want to emphasize is that in those cases, the innocent is not being punished as guilty. Sometimes the innocent does suffer the consequences of the guilty. We could think of a a father of a family that commits a crime and goes to prison, and now he's not able to financially provide for his family. And so now one of the consequences that comes upon his family is financial struggles because the father is not there to provide and other issues that come with the father not being there. Uh, So that would just be one practical example of that. 
But in cases where, where God is, is punishing a group of people, and I just want to emphasize this for the sake of, of qualification, God takes great lengths to separate the righteous from the wicked. One example of this would be when God destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you're familiar with that story in the book of Genesis, Abraham has this back and forth with God where Abraham kind of says to God, are you really going to destroy the, the righteous with the wicked? Are you really going to completely annihilate these cities? And so they have this back and forth and God essentially makes a, makes a promise or a guarantee to Abraham. And he says that if, if I can find even 10 righteous people, 10 righteous men, I will spare the entire cities. I'll spare all the cities. I won't, I won't destroy them. Now you continue in that narrative. There's not, there are, there are not 10 righteous people. The only righteous man arguably is Lot, who is Abraham's nephew. And he, being a righteous man, was rescued. The, the angels that God sent into the city, they forcibly removed Lot and his immediate family from the city, saving his life and the life of his daughters. And, and so this would be an example where God does make a distinction between the sinner, the guilty person, and the righteous. So with this specific law that we just read in Deuteronomy 24, verse 16, the principle is that the penalty of a crime must be carried out on the one who committed the crime. Now, just in case this principle does not seem majorly important to you, I do want to highlight one major point of application that should impact us all deeply, and I think this, is, this would illustrate why this study is beneficial. But when we think of this requirement of justice, that the guilty should be the ones who pay the penalty for their sins, not the innocent. Well, one thought that comes to mind is, well, what about Jesus? Because he was innocent, and yet he died for sinners. He died for sinners. Well, here's the thing about this. Based on this principle, we can conclude that there was nothing that required Jesus to die for the sins of anyone else outside of God's desire to save people. And what I mean by that is that God would be perfectly just and fair to allow every person to pay the penalty of their sins. No one could say to God, if he sent everyone to hell, because of the sins that they committed. No one could say to God, you're unjust, because everyone would be paying the penalty for the sins that they themselves committed. And we've all committed sins that, are, that, that would earn us a place in the eternal fire of hell. That, that's what Scripture teaches, and that is the truth. And so the fact that it would not be unjust or unjust for God to send everybody to hell really highlights the, the love and the mercy of God. And I say that because if you belong to Jesus Christ, if you are one of His, then you have to understand that Jesus did not have to save you by dying for your sins. He didn't have to do that. He, and, he, and God would not have been unjust if He didn't do that. But because 
he loved his people, he chose to do that. So he didn't have to, but he chose to. And this reality, if we think about it, this really highlights the love, the mercy, and the grace of God. Because what Jesus did for us by dying for our sins was completely undeserved and it wasn't required. And yet he did it anyways. And this highlights again just the love, the mercy, and the grace, which, which means an undeserved, unmerited gift of Jesus Christ that he has given to us if we have believed in him and belong to him. Now, we could say more about Jesus dying on behalf of us sinners, and, and I hope that that point of application does impact you and, and help you think or really help you be more grateful for what Jesus has done to us. But let's turn back to our study of the ninth commandment and let's look at another set of instructions, another application of the ninth commandment in Deuteronomy. And let's continue right to verse 17 and 18 in Deuteronomy 24. So you should still be there in your Bible. But Deuteronomy 24, reading in verse 17, and it says, You shall not pervert the justice due an alien or an orphan, nor take a widow's garment in pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I'm commanding you to do this thing. Now, God is not talking about aliens from outer space. So just want to define that. Have you heard the term alien in reference to immigrants? Is that really? Yeah, most people have heard like illegal aliens. That's the only, and you know, it's kind of strange, but I feel like that's the only time alien is used. If it's like illegal alien, no one says legal alien or just aliens. You know, if, if anybody, and I, and I understand because of aliens from outer space and the genre of sci-fi, you know, if, 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 uh, if you said like, you know, to a friend like, hey man, I was hanging out with some aliens from Mexico and you know, they're just, they're great people. You know, people would be like, what are you talking about, right? So understandably, we don't really use that term. It's a little bit archaic, but uh, these days, but it's referring to immigrants, to foreigners who are living in a country that they were not born in and that is not their own. And so what this set of instruction, this instruction, this law, this specific law what it is addressing is addressing, I had to explain that to Levi, by the way. I was like, you know, just kind of disciplining him or getting, on, getting at him for something. I said, you know, we're going to have to address that. He's like, wait, what? No, no, I'm not, you know, it's like dresses are for girls. I'm like, no, 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 address, which means we're going to have to deal with this, right? So what this specific law is addressing with an A is a major temptation for people and governments. And that temptation is the temptation to take advantage of people who cannot typically defend themselves, people who are naturally vulnerable. And immigrants, orphans, and widows are classes of people that are typically more susceptible to fraud and abuse of various sorts by both people and governments. And we can understand this, right? So, you know, if you think of violent criminals that are looking for victims to rob or to do a crime against, you know, they're typically not going to, if they see like a group of Navy SEALs walking down the street who, you know, in downtown San Diego or wherever, or Virginia, wherever they hang out, 
they're probably not going to mess with that group of guys, right? They just you know, in any, not even just Navy SEALs, but any, you know, group of, you know, five, six, you know, guys who are in shape and look like they could hold their own, that's not who they're going to target. But the older person, the single girl, the single guy that's not paying attention, anybody that looks vulnerable, they may target. That's their more likely target. And so with people that seek to do harm or to take advantage of people or even governments, and governments do do this, they're typically going to go after those who are not as able to defend themselves. And so this law, again, was reminding the people of Israel, or we could maybe say it this, this way, it was reminding them that for true justice to be done and administered, it requires that there be no bias or favoritism or what we would call partiality. In fact, let me read from one scripture that highlights this. In Deuteronomy, if you go back to chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 17, it says, and this is God commanding the people through Moses, he says, you shall not show partiality in judgment. So Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 17 God says, you shall not show partiality in judgment, or you shall not show bias or favoritism in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not fear man, for the judgment is God's. The case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. So based on this specific command and what we read in Deuteronomy 24, in terms of justice, for justice to be done... The small of society and the great of society are to be treated equally and heard equally. There's to be fairness. Now, in our modern society, in our modern culture, you'll hear a lot of things about social justice and doing justice. But oftentimes, that, that, what they mean by justice is that you actually have to favor the poor. You need to give them preferential treatment. Or if there's been a group of people or a minority that's been mistreated in the past, now you have to give them extra special treatment to kind of you know, raise them back up, so to speak. Well, that's just as sinful as you know, the, the original prejudice and racism that existed in the beginning. According to God's word, there is to be no partiality at all. Everyone is to be treated equally. If a poor person commits a crime, they should pay the penalty for their crime. If a rich person commits a crime, they should pay the penalty of their crime. The goal is fairness, fairness in judgment. And of course, if we read elsewhere in Scripture, this is because God himself is an impartial, unbiased God who holds everyone accountable according to the deeds that they've done. And so God is not partial, therefore we should not be partial either. All right, let's move to one more specific law relating to the Ninth Commandment, and that is in Deuteronomy 25. Deuteronomy 25, verses 1 to 3. So Deuteronomy 25, verse 1 to 3. And this may seem a little bit harsh, but we'll, we'll explain the principle here. So Deuteronomy 25, 1 to 3, it says this, starting in verse 1. If there is a dispute between men and they go to court, and the judges decide their case, and they justify the righteous and condemn the wicked, so implying they've done their job, okay, they've, they've, they've correctly identified who's wrong and who's right. Then verse 2, then it shall be if the wicked man deserves to be beaten, so it's not assuming that they always deserve to be beaten, but sometimes they do, 
And if they deserve to be beaten, it says this, then the judge shall then make him lie down and be beaten in his presence with the number of stripes or lashes according to his guilt. He may beat him 40 times, but no more, so that he does not beat him with many more stripes than these, and your brother is not degraded in your eyes. Now, again, it's not saying that in every case, this person's going to need to be you know, beaten 40 times or 40 lashings, but it is giving a limit. And so for certain crimes, it could not exceed 40 times. Obviously, if it was a crime that was really bad, it may actually require the death penalty. So you get into a different category. But the principle in this set of, uh, uh, this specific law and set of instructions, the principle that is, is really promoted and enforced is that for justice to be fulfilled, the punishment needs to fit the crime. The punishment needs to, be, to fit the crime. So for example, okay, let's say you have a guy that is like the worst type of criminal ever. He's like a mass murderer, you know, he's killed a lot of people. And you conclude this guy needs, needs the death penalty, okay? But then somebody else comes along and says, well, no, instead of giving him the death penalty, let's lock him in a cell and just play Taylor Swift for him all day, okay? Just go ahead and execute him, all right? You know, like the punishment needs to fit the crime, okay? So I don't know if you got that joke, all right? Implying that listening to Taylor Swift is worse, worse than death, but it's just a joke, all right? It's just a joke. But again, the principle, let the punish, the, the, not just let, but the punishment must fit the crime. Now, as we come to the end of our message tonight and summarizing everything, what we should notice at this point is that in terms of its application, the application of the ninth commandment, it is about, at its core, upholding and promoting justice. And not justice according to how the world defines it or the social justice movement, but according to how Scripture defines it. And we've seen several applications of that. And so when it comes to the ninth commandment, not only is it sinful to give a false report or testimony that harms other people or that could harm other people, but if we are not acting justly towards others, or if we are acting unjustly in any way, then we are violating the principle of the Ninth, the ninth, uh, the ninth Commandment. For example, if we ever have the right and power to punish a crime, if we extend that punishment beyond the person who is guilty and we try to hurt other people that might be close to them, well, then we're violating the principle of the ninth commandment. If there's ever a dispute between two people and we automatically side with the person that we like or respect or that we're friends with without, before we know all of the facts of the situation or we've done our research, and so we, we're being biased and we're being partial, well, then we're violating the ninth commandment. If somebody ever wrongs us and then we demand a type of, a, of apology or payment that goes beyond what the original wrong would require reasonably, well, then we're violating the ninth commandment. And so as we come to our conclusion, we could ask the question, have we all violated the ninth commandment? And the answer is yes, 
Not only have we probably given a false report or testimony about somebody or something at some point, but we've been biased, we've been partial, we have been vengeful at times, requiring more punishment or extending that punishment more than, than it deserves or what would be just. And so what this means then, according to this principle of justice that we've studied, if we're going to apply it to ourselves, the fact that we violated this commandment and all the commandments that we've studied so far, then we deserve to pay the penalty that our sins have earned. That would be just. But as I mentioned earlier about Jesus Christ, the good news is that not only is God just when we are not, and we can take confidence in that, but God goes beyond the standard of justice that we ourselves fail to uphold. Instead of letting us pay the penalty for our sins, which would be perfectly fair and just for God to do, as I mentioned earlier, Jesus chose to pay that penalty for us instead, to die on our behalf. And because Jesus not only died but then rose again on the third day, well, now he is able to save us from that penalty and not only save us from the punishment of God, the wrath of God, but also to give us new life and a new heart which then is going to be able to uphold the principle of the ninth commandment. And so for all of us who acknowledge Jesus as Lord and who believe in his word, this is true for us. We are forgiven and we, with a new heart, can begin to live out these principles. So with this in mind, let's pray and then we'll be dismissed. Dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word and the teaching of your word, Lord, including what we've covered this evening. I pray, Lord, for all of us as we enter into this, to this Christmas break that it would be a time of refreshing and blessing. I pray for all the students here who still have finals left to complete that you would uh, give them grace and help them in, in, that, uh, in that task um, that they have, Lord. And and then even to us adults, that you give us good health and protect us. And, and again, that this time um, towards the end of the year would just be a joyful and blessed time. Uh, please continue to bless this, this group and, and this church, Lord. Um, help us be faithful and help us honor and glorify you. I pray all these things according to the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the East Memorial Student Podcast. For more information and updates about East Memorial Student Ministries, please visit our website at eastmemorial.org. You can also follow us on our Instagram page titled EMBC Student.